Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the 905er. My name is Joel McLeod, and this week's episode, we're taking a bit of a different approach. Um, Roel and I have been looking over the last few weeks in a, a top, and we've noticed that it's kind of a sticking theme of reform is kind of the underpinning theme of the, uh, the topics that we've been talking about. Uh, we thought we'd do a bit of a roundtable discussion on what that would look like for our municipalities here in the 905. Uh, we invited on a columnist and journalist, Lorraine Sommerfeld, to have that discussion with us just to talk about Hamilton, Burlington, the region, and what we can do to kind of have a better civil discourse in our uh, municipal politics. This is Roland here, just adding in a small extra that we had some technical problems this week, so the sound quality is not exactly the same as we uh, usually try to achieve, so please bear with us. And uh, we'll be back with some better quality sound, we hope, next week. Okay, well, I'd like to uh, welcome Lorraine Sommerfeld this week. Uh, uh, Lorraine is a uh, friend of mine for the last decade or so, but much more importantly is a uh, a columnist in the Hamilton Spectator and uh, also is a uh, a columnist in the the National Post in the the auto section. Has a long career as an auto journalist. And if you haven't seen her column, Mother Load in the Spec, then you should definitely check that out because it's fantastic and it's funny and it's entertaining and, uh, and it's all true as well. I've seen it with my own eyes. So, uh, <laughs> um, so we thought this week we'd take a look back kind of over the last few weeks and have more of a kind of roundtable discussion with Lorraine uh, about some of the context of how municipal governments work Um which sounds super uninteresting, apart from how so often they don't work uh, very well. Um, And we're seeing that in the moment in in a few places in Ontario, um, most notably probably uh, Hamilton, Um, but there's also stories from from other cities about, uh, well, councillors behaving badly, I guess, is is the best way to put it. So uh, welcome, Lorraine. We first met um, on something called the Shape Burlington Community back in, I think it was 2000, I always forget the date, I think it was 2010, right? Wow, okay. Too long ago. Um, And we were both, I've since become a regular troublemaker at City Halls. uh, And I ran the other way, so we took different things away from that committee. (laughs) You were the smart one, and I was (laughs) the But we saw then what we see now, which is you and I were, I think, the youngest in the room, and we were by no means young, except that the disparity popped up immediately in mindsets, and there was a, a bullying going on. Like it was so right then and there, the same stuff we're seeing now, but maybe more openly, was even happening at that level that long ago. Yeah, and we were probably slightly the, the bulls in the china shop, but, but that said, you. you probably worked as hard as anybody on the report that that committee produced. And for those who don't know, it was a committee whose task was to try and improve public engagement in Burlington. There was a lot of bad feeling then about uh, the whole peer situation in Burlington, uh, where uh, a bunch of money had been built on a, spent on a peer that was stuck and getting nowhere. Um, and there was just a, a kind of unpleasant atmosphere at City Hall meetings, and it was an attempt to address that. And yeah, there, were, there was a sort of separation, and actually two, two of the, the, the oldest people in the committee, the two vice chairs, uh, uh, Walter Markovich and John Boych, were also actually two of the most adventurous in yes. many ways. So it was like, there was those two and us two who were kind of... Bookending. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, let's, let's, let's not... Um, let's not half-ass this thing, let's yeah. try and um, do something kind of uh, exciting and maybe a little bit innovative, uh, and a whole lot of caution as well um, from, from some other people who, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, so that was our experience there. Um, tell, 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 me, tell us something else, Lorraine, about some of the other experiences in that, because there were some really positive ones that we, that we were involved in that seemed like something that city halls should be able to to take advantage of one one of the one one of the things that i found most surprising was things that we thought would just bolt to the front being obvious were pushed to the back and we were told to be quiet basically i wanted to go talk to high school kids the grade 10 civics class they're held hostage in there across the country 
and that play it's taught by gym teachers who don't want to do it and it's a wasted period for a semester every year for these kids and i thought oh what a great opportunity to go help them learn the levels of government nobody seems to understand the difference between municipal provincial federal we've seen that with the covid stuff response mm -hmm. especially but i thought what a great opportunity to talk to kids they can't vote yet but they will vote and they have parents who vote we got pushed down you, John, and I went and did that on our own, outside of the parameters of the thing, and it ended up being a pretty important part of that report because the kids, um, their concerns were so different from what we were hearing from other sectors, yet they mattered and they were vital. And what the pushback we got was, they don't vote, we can't be bothered. Yeah. And I thought, there, right, that encapsulates one of the problems right um, there. Isn't that, though, a bit of the, the problem with these advisory committees is that they're they're given such a broad mandate to do something, but they don't necessarily have the resources to go and do it. Like if you're if you're telling, hey, fix civic engagement for a city of 150, 200,000, 500,000 people, and you leave it up to what eight people in a room, and you don't and you're not you're not working to try and grab people from the various demographics that make up your city. So forget you know forget trying to equity of male female. If you're trying to get like you said, Lauren. Uh, age variant. So you have seniors, middle age, as well as like very young um, and maybe not so voting age, but you're trying to get get that going. Um, isn't it like, isn't that just kind of the Achilles heel, these things, like why they're so useless and so pointless is that you just say, hey, fix this gigantic problem that's probably generations in the making. And we're going to give you, you eight people on a board table and some donuts and coffee, fix it for us. You're, you're absolutely right. And I think this committee was huge and it was spearheaded by two men with a ton of experience in this sphere, Walter and John, who were amazing. They were just phenomenal. And it was broad. And that's why I mistakenly, naively believed that because of those parameters, we could say, let's talk to younger people. Let's talk to people that are transit oriented. Let's, let's divide up. There's enough of us. Let's be smart about this. This is how I attack any problem, break it down into pieces. We send people off. I called the school boards. We let us come in. They were thrilled. Someone goes, we won't get into the schools. I go, we're already in. So I find there's a lot of defeatist attitude that comes right, in. Right. And that to me was surprising because I'm not a joiner. I'll never run for office because there's so many skeletons in my closet. It just <laughs> happened. <laughs> but I found it um surprising in a really bad way that we have the resources and the abilities because we've got really good people offering to go into the community in different areas but you've got these naysayers who are telling you it can't happen it won't work we're not going to do it and i'm back going why then what you know i mean I, the, just during the official plan process uh, year, well i guess it was about a year ago when they were revisiting official plan i, I suggested to some people at City Hall, it's like to do the same thing. Go talk to some kids, go into the civics classes. Now, to be fair, I think a councillor or two did do that on their own, but on their own kind of, the city as a whole didn't do it. No. And again, it was like, well, we don't have time, we can't, but yeah, and it's like, well, you have to just pick up the phone. And just to, to illustrate the point of how important that is, that it's not just taking, hey, we talk to young people. The issue that was raised at the classes we went to uh, was transit. Every kid that we spoke to was like, transit in Burlington sucks. We can't get anywhere. We can't go to the sound of music. We can't, it, you know, when we do catch a bus, it's expensive, uh, but they're so irregular. Now, what has Burlington been trying to, was going in the opposite direction at that time, cutting budgets and reducing services. I mean, it went down this kind of eight year rabbit hole going in the wrong direction with transit and they're now trying to unpick. If they'd actually spoken to some kids then, they would have had a completely different perspective on what the priorities of the city were, mainly the people who actually use transit. And it's all written in that book sitting on the shelf, getting dust, like we yeah. get all the info for them. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I kind of on that note, maybe that's a segue into the next, the kind of broader topic of like why our councillors are behaving badly is that they're not getting the feedback or citizens aren't aren't given the chance to give proper feedback or just value, just how their uh, their feedback feel appreciated uh, by the decision makers at our at our city councils. Well, I, I feel so, um, and I've been through a shape Burlington process kind of twice now. And I have to say, I, I 
both times I've come out feeling very disappointed. Uh, I think, there's such, to be fair to people, which I, I really try to be, <laughs> there's a lot of good intentions that just go horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, people join these committees in good faith. The people who put the committees in place do so in good faith. But like you say, the, the, the terms of reference are either completely unmanageable and they've got a $100 budget for the year, or the terms of reference aren't even used because everybody forgets that they're there. Um, it, these committees go rogue. They go wandering off into territory they're not meant to be in. Uh, some go rogue and don't do anything at all. Um, it, and I've seen this time and time again, and it's very frustrating. In Hamilton, we have a situation where, where you know, we used to see this in Burlington too, and it has definitely changed. It's, it's not the same. But where people who go to council to provide their opinions, which is the main tool is delegation, where you actually go and speak to council at a council meeting, basically get a mouthful of abuse for their for their troubles and um, you know, there's a couple of people on the committee on council at the moment who seem to be particularly particularly abrasive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> See, I think what's happening in Hamilton and actually a lot of these councils, when you spoke about why are they behaving badly, I think we're seeing a reflection of the polarization of politics in general, and we've lost this ability to cross the aisle, go back and forth. And I've, when my kids were younger, they're older now, they'd say, well, if they've got a good idea on this side, how come they can't acknowledge it's a good idea and work together? I go, you're talking about the olden days, guys. That's when parties, nobody feared the other party getting in. And now we're at the point where they're going to torch down a country out of fear that the other side will get in. And I think this is reflecting at a very junior level, the same kind of intensity in a negative way. People are protecting their quarters and right. there's also the right. onslaught. If we can't delegate and have um, citizens engaging, they're going to go to social media, and it's not going to go away. Well, social on, media, well, yes. On that note, Lorraine, it should be done that in the in the media, they were reporting that what's happening in Hamilton, a lot of it is due to social media. The counselors in question who are being confrontational, who are being abrasive to everyday citizens who go to voice their democratic opinions, um, there, it seems that the counselors uh, are trying to feed into a certain group online, people who would, the echo chamber, if you will, who are going to reinforce whatever biases. political beliefs. Right, you're right, biases or, or political beliefs that they want to advocate. Um, and that's that's the da- I mean, that's, that's the dark side of social media. I mean, social media has been great. I mean, it's, it's led to the creation of this podcast, and it's allowed us to kind of see new ideas and be educated on ideas that we normally would not have access to. But I think you, you touched on something. It's the, the dark side there of, well, you're, you're, you're evil because you're, I don't agree with your opinion. Yeah. Uh, doesn't. And it is too easy to make your, set yourself up a nice little comfortable echo chamber. I'm guilty of that. I block people that make me crazy because my blood pressure is already too high, but I'm not an elected official. I don't think they should be, they should learn how to engage instead of slapping people with a two by four. And they don't want it. A lot of them, it's like they've been there, they're ensconced, right. they're not elected. And so why bother? I've had it my way this long. And, and this, yeah, and there's something that, that they all seem to develop over time, which is this feeling of how dare you challenge the office of councillor and this esteemed right. institution, you know, this kind of stuff. There's an entitlement there. That's, yeah, and, and it's like, no, you're at the bottom of the pile, not the top. We employ yeah. you. You work for right. us. And I, I think it, it, it's kind of a cliche, but it's absolutely true. You know, I mean, I, so Terry Whitehead is one of the two people who, who's, who's being criticised at the moment. It was mentioned in CBC on Friday, I think. And if you read his tweets, I'm just going to read one out pretty much at random. They're rude. Um, And I'm going to read it exactly how it's written. I have your gross comment, S, while I was feeding my mom in hospital. You never apologize for what you are. You are a A L piece of work. You also went after a clinic, family clinic, because you were in the... You know, you can't even read it. It's illiterate. Um, it, it makes Donald Trump look like a like a literary genius. 
uh, and quite apart from the issue, I don't know what the issue is here. Maybe he's right. Who knows? As a counsellor, you just shouldn't get into that no. kind of stuff. Um, you know, you you are going to get criticised as a politician. Everybody knows that. Well, Some of it will not be put in jobs. That's the job is as an elected official. I always believe that if you're if you get elected, whether it's to municipal, provincial, federal politics, you should go in there with an agenda. You have an idea of I want after my term is over, I want to change my my part of the country this way. And the idea is that you run in that campaign, and everybody says, "Yeah, I like your ideas. I want to vote for you. I want you in there to do X, Y, and Z," like you said. Um, the problem is, I think these these councillors get away from that it turns into the job itself is the goal um it's it's they want to they want the accolades and the the prestige that comes with it because there is i mean everybody gets that but you know part of the i think part of the trade-off is you're right um you have to be open to criticism and you have to be open to the fact that your plans don't necessarily go according to plan there are, are a million different factors that go into a budgetary concerns uh, you know a pandemic might hit right and your plans just go off the rails and you have to be willing to feed that criticism and be able to say, yeah, I fell short. I failed in this. I'm sorry. This is why we're going to fix it. And if you can't do it, then I think you're just a bad choice for the job. No, leaders should be leading and they stop. And when you talk about an agenda and the things you want to achieve, you should at least be seen getting the ball down the field in increments. Even if you can't get it through the uprights, you have to be seen working towards those goals, and then people will cut you a ton of slack because they see you going in the right direction. Yes. But when you get down in the mud with people who you don't think are worthy of your attention, it's like, as a parent, if I start screaming at my child and throwing crap the same way they are, how? no, I'm supposed to be the one that leads them out of this and waits them out of this. And to me, this, that's an apt analogy. When I watch counselors getting down, screaming, and calling names on social media, use the tool properly, learn the media that you're using, or sit down and shut up and at least be thought to have some decorum. Yeah, and, and there was so I many, I think the, the current kind of, why the, the latest screaming match kind of happened at, at Hamilton Council meeting was, was to do with I think it's Aberdeen Avenue. Road Diet. Well, yeah. yeah. So and it's a very busy road and, and people who live there are like, hey, we could reduce traffic here. It'd be nice to be able to take our kids to school without fearing that they might get slammed. Now, where you stand on that issue almost isn't, isn't the issue. What we have is councillors who know that the people on that street are people they can frankly ignore, given the much stronger opinion there is amongst other people in, in their wards about being able to get to work without being delayed and inconvenienced. Right. So it comes back kind of to that, what Dave uh, Meslin was talking about last week, where you only need to appeal to 30% of, right. of the electorate, uh, and you can be as rude as you like to the other uh, um, Seventy doesn't matter. Seventy percent. So where did I get this? You could be as rude as you like. Yeah, you know, like I. This is. Well, crazy. I think I think that's just. I'll I'll be honest. Um, I think that's just them as a person. Like it. it how like how how you how you tr I, I'll in previous lives, um, I worked, uh, frontline re retail uh or I I worked in uh at Tim Hortons uh, managing at Tim Hortons for uh, a friend of mine. And I always say, like, you can see who people are by the way that they treat those they think they can get away with it. Yeah. Um, like, you, you, you just go into a, a retail, go, maybe not right now because of the pandemic, but like, if you went shopping and you'd see somebody yelling at a clerk, some minimum, some clerk earning minimum wage and yelling over something trivial like uh, uh, shoes weren't in the color, weren't in the size, or, you know, they thought this thing was priced too too much for what it's worth and you're going to yell at some teenage girl or some old man behind the counter because i i can yell at you i you know you're 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 lowest on the totem pole so i get to yell at you i'm like that doesn't that says so much more about them as a person that they think that that's how you can treat somebody and get away with it because there's some hierarchy and i'm i'm on top therefore you have to bow down and kiss my foot is it's disgusting but it, 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 it does go to the to their character as a person well that's how women 
date, I'll tell you guys, you go to a restaurant, you're getting graded instantly on how you treat everyone, male, female, doesn't matter. And I worked consumers distributing for 10 years from the time I was 15, frontline. And yeah, we were not a department store, so we were considered, you know, consumers. Everyone loves it, but you want the grief we put up with as teenagers. And I ended up being an assistant manager for a few years, but I was really young. And they'd still try and walk all over you, and I wasn't taking any of it, so that was fine. But no, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I feel these people are incredibly insecure. They lack the confidence in their own selves to be kind to somebody else, because that is something you give to somebody when you're safe in your own in your own person. And, and I think with, with the, the political side of things, I know that if you're a counselor, you spend a lot of time dealing with people who, who are difficult. Um, no two ways about it. Um, uh, ask, expecting you to provide solutions that, that are not even within your power to provide because most people don't understand what a counsellor can do or, or even what the job really entails. Again, this is nobody's fault but, but councils for not being able to communicate that stuff properly. Um, but So you get the frustration that after a few years, you frankly, oh, I'll tell them what I think of them. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. How dare you? Whatever. But... The end result is, is is absolutely destructive to to their blasted institution at the end of the day because it just you know it confirms everybody that everything that people think about politicians is that they're arrogant and uh, uh, self opinionated and not interested in the little guy you know um, so it, it it's it really has to change and I think. To, to an extent, we're seeing work practices that that, you, that we used to see in the wider population that now would be considered completely out of line in terms of, or should be considered completely out of line in terms of how like a boss treats a, a junior member of staff. But in legislatures and parliaments and council uh, rooms, we still think that's acceptable. And so we saw the Integrity Commissioner in Hamilton uh, last week come back on, on something that happened at least a year ago and say, no, that was fine. The, the councillor was in, within their rights to, you know, ream out some member of the public. Um, it's like, you, you almost need to look at it in a retail way. Like, would you treat a customer like this? Why the hell are you treating a member of the public uh, like dirt? But for having the courage, because it takes a lot of courage to go to a council meeting. Um, yeah, I... I... I think you're actually bang on there, Roland, but it kind of feeding off what Lorraine was saying previously, um, if you can't handle if you can't handle somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, you didn't hold up to your end of the bargain. I elected you to do X, Y, and Z, and you only did X, you know, I think you're doing a horrible job and you, you, you're not worthy of, 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 my, of my, uh, my vote next time and you should be fired right now, all this stuff. And yeah, in some cases you say, I can't do this inside of my power that's why we have term limits if you honestly sit there and say well geez i can't handle the criticism i can't handle being yelled at by people who just aren't willing to listen to my point of view why wouldn't you just say okay my term's up i'm walking away thanks very much i had i had fun but i'm out and i think it goes back to what you were saying lorraine is that these people are so insecure to be able to look at themselves and say this job isn't for me it's not my I, I am not the right fit for this job. I can't seem to get my agenda uh, through council or I can't make get everybody else to buy into it for whatever reason, or I'm not flexible enough to, or not imaginative enough to come up with a, another workaround. Sometimes you have to look at it and say, maybe you're just not the right fit for the job. Like there, I'm, we've all had jobs where you sit there and say, geez, this is not me. I, I am not happy here. Yeah, but I, they won the popularity contest. They got elected. <laughs> One time, well, see, but here's the thing, Roland and I are, are I think, are a bit arguing is that these people aren't winning the popularity contest. They're winning the rule, the rules set up. The first past the post system says, oh, you, you don't need to get the majority of the popular vote. You don't need to get, everybody doesn't have to like you. You just have to have enough people like you. I also think this is when I see um, people concentrating on the wedding instead of the marriage. That day is the most important thing. And then they're at loose ends going, what am I supposed to do with this now? Right. And I think that we see a lot of that going on too. People don't really understand what they're getting into. And then uh, to your point, they don't have, like, can I say balls? They don't, yeah. they don't have the, they don't have the balls 
to get out when it's not for them or to admit that this needs to be handed off. And if you're dealing with difficult people, I'm a woman writing in the auto industry. You want to talk about difficult people? <laughs> I get slammed. Like I've got rhino hide now. I've written in all the major newspapers. I get called like you. And my editors half the time don't even realize I've been slammed. They go, oh, we're so used to it. So you have to toughen up, but you also have to stand your ground, do your research, explain why. Like this is these are the reasons why I can't give you what you want. Right. These are some resources you can take from here, and I'm not going to forget you. They still may be angry. That's not my fault anymore. I've done my job, which is bringing to them all the information I have access to. But sometimes I dig in my heels and go, "No, I'm right." Doesn't mean you're wrong, but I'm still right. <laughs> well, I mean, on that note, though, you you sit there and say these are the resources we have because there. Are, I know working on the political side, there's a hundred different factors happening all at the same time. You have budgetary concerns, you have competing uh, priorities. Other counselors are on that council and they're all fighting for the same uh, slice of the budget pie for their little side projects, their, their, their parks that they want to redo, their, the streets they want to pave and the community centers they want to refurbish and all that stuff. And that's where you have to be willing to come out and compromise and build your coalition. You, you, do, you need to go to your community, your ward and say, listen, I want this to happen. I want to fix this park. I want to repave this road. I want to rebuild whatever. Um, but you know what? We might have to work with this other neighborhood to get their pro project done first, because then we can all get it done. And that's, that's what I think city councils are supposed to be, is this more collaborative community based effort of hey we all have we all want to get roads repaved okay let's all put that at the top of the budget item this year we're going to get all the roads repaved or all the sewers redone or whatever whatever the priority is that year um and that's how councils are supposed to work they're not supposed to work in these little fiefdoms of hey i'm the i'm the king shit on this pile and you all should be bowing down to me which is i think kind of what happened in hamilton this week which is just sad this reminds me, I've been in the same house since I was born. So I've been right here in the core in Burlington. And when I was growing up, the counselors, two of my friends, their dads were counselors at the time. And one, his mom was a counselor and they made squat. They had real jobs. And so stuff got decided a lot more quickly. <laughs> they had less invested in the, you know, six digit paycheck and stuff. It was a lot more immutable. They would talk. And it was far more of a collaborative approach to everything. And I know the city was a lot smaller back then. I watched it be named a city instead of a town. So I understand it was a smaller thing to work with. But there also was a lot more cooperation and collaboration. And it was more open. You could talk to these people. But it, they weren't putting, they weren't loaded dice. Everything wasn't going on one square because they had nothing else. And a lot of them, they're in it for the pension. They're in it because they can't, they can't do any family Many of them. I'm going to get slammed for that. But I watch people get elected to positions, and they'll try all over the place because they just want it. It's an easy slide. Well, I think good people get forced out. And yes. I'm not talking about myself. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. Not, but yeah. I've seen good people who have been elected question what they're doing there. Yeah. Um, it's just like, oh, this is just horrendous. And, and it's not just the councillors. I'm, not, I'm certainly not just talking about Burlington. Um, I've been involved in something this week where I was highly critical of Burlington, and, and, and you know, to an extent that was not particularly wise of me because it it it, it just means the you know I'm almost as guilty as like how dare you not have my point of view, and I, and I get that. But the institutional problems that you see in city halls. It's councillors and staff, kind of, and each person, each department is pulling in its own direction. So the minute you say, hey, why don't we change this? This would be good. Everybody goes into lockdown and freaks out and says, oh, but that would mean that we don't control this anymore. And a huge amount of it is about control. It's like, well, this is what our office does. You can't let members of the public come in and do that. Well, we have this massive resource that's available to us in Canada and every country in the world, which is the public. And people are actually usually very willing, if asked and invited, don't expect them just to turn up and volunteer, but invite them to, to help out. I mean, I think one of the most fantastic things that I've seen in Canada since I've been here was the, the, the refugee process with, with Syrian refugees and the private sponsorship thing, which basically says, hey, we're not going to do this as a government, but if you want to uh, bring uh, refugees in, knock yourself out and we'll help. 
Um, so it's, it, uh, I'm, you know, this has been going on under multiple governments in Canada, multiple generations. We're the only country in the world to do it and just take the resource, which is the people of this country, and make use of it. And what happens because of that? When you compare refugee success rates in Canada compared with other parts of the world, well, they do better because the first thing they do on the day they arrive in Canada is make a friend with a Canadian, the whole family of Canadians, who introduce them, who take them to their new home, and take them through the process of uh, assimilating into a new country because we asked volunteers to get involved. In other places, they turn up, they put into a B&B, and they're like, well, here's your, um, you know, here's the basic money you need to survive, off you go, good luck. And, and guess what? Things go wrong when that happens, because that's, but that's all a government is able to do. Uh, so... Just ask. Just, yeah, just ask well, the public. I'll, I'll, I'm going to, for shits and giggles, I'm going to play devil's advocate for uh, against the world. Um, I think uh, the... What you're you're talking about is a bit of a utopia idea. I think the problem is, and kind of going back to our argument at the start of this thing, was that you you ask for volunteers. I, I've gotten the emails asking me to come out and volunteer. For, you know, do you want to sign up to become a part of a citizens uh, committee or, or whatever have you? I'm reluctant to do it because I don't want to go in and be forced to be to fight with those strong personalities who are. Who, who view it as either a no we can't do it uh because that people just aren't going to like that or i don't like it so i'm going to fight you down and it's just it's exhausting there are good there are entrepreneurs like you said uh in the in this in our communities who are looking to just i want to engage i want to start a start a, a an initiative to read it revamp stuff and it, it, the problem is you know the there's all these barriers and nobody steps in to, to really uh, knock them down. You know, the, you, you're told, go to this committee, present it to this committee. And you go and you're told, well, you can't do it. That's stupid. There's no money for that. Um, this is the way that we've always done it. And that's the way it's always going to be. That's, that's the catchphrase. That's the way we've always done it. Right. And then you're just, and after, after a while, you think, well, you know what? I got, I got a life to live. I got a job. I got a job to work for. I got a family to provide for. I'd rather spend time with my kids, or I'd rather spend time with my friends than going down and fighting with Betty Ann and Johnny Joe over how to spend tax dollars. You know, I, I and that, that's the thing where, where it comes down to is that people know they know they have the ideas, and but they're tired of having to fight to get them through. It's just it's a good idea. You know, people like it. Why don't we just do it? I think the other thing is. Most citizens, and I am primary among them for this, I don't really pay a lot of attention to what's going on until after the fact. Yeah. I'll see those big white boards for developments go up three blocks from my house or something, and unless I'm out looking and I stare at it, but I don't really read the post that much. It's where I get my you know, flyers and stuff, as we all know, but news has been splintered, so we don't have this primary source that everyone used to read the paper every day, the local paper. Now that doesn't happen. But... I don't really know what's going on until it's happening. And I'm not an idiot and I'm not disengaged, but I'm tired. And there's yep. a lot of things competing yep. for my attention and my dollar. And when I have tried to engage, it's been really dispiriting. So most people like me will quit after one go at it. And again, I'm not dumb, but I do go, well, you know what? I have other things that really need my attention more, especially right now. So the thing, if, if, if you do ask people in, it has to be, very carefully focused what you're asking them to deal with. Don't ask people in and say, hey, we're all going to have a, a, a nice chat about things and, and we'll listen to you. Right. That, that, that's just a, a recipe for disaster. You, you, I mean, again, with the, the, taking the, the, the refugee thing, it's like, here's a function. We want you to do one very simple thing. Pay for refugees to come here and then support them for a year, for a year after they arrive. Simple. Do it. It works. Um, you know, with with committees on. Uh, Trying to think of an example. Uh, uh, the, the narrower you can focus it, better. But then, once having focused the 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 what you're asking your citizens to do, having set a very carefully uh, set out objective, then actually give them. The power to you know don't then say okay well thanks we gave you this thing but um 
uh, and we said we'd listen to you, but we listen and we don't okay. like it. So, so go away. No, no, you, you either don't do it at all or really do it. Well, um, on, and on that note, Roland, you know, city council should really be jumping on that idea because it, it will cover their ass on so many things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, and because how many times, you know, if you want to, even if you're just talking about, you know, re redoing a road or let's, let's talk about, you know, say the big items of development, putting in high rise apartment buildings, which, you know, that's a hornet's nest that no council wants to do deal with. But if the idea is, you know, listen, we got to do some kind of development. We need, people need to live in our city and they need, we want them to live in nice places. So getting a, a group together and say, what you know we can't we can't say no development but we have to say something let's think of what we would like to see and what are some ideas come up with some some guidelines some 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 ideas that we can say this is how we want the city to look like more green space more technology whatever whatever have you but you do that it's easy for a counselor to say listen we've spoken with people I've, I've I've spoken with Roland. I've spoken with Lorraine, and they're on the on the committee, and they've they've spoken with people in their neighborhoods, and people really seem to gain, you know, hook onto this idea. Let's see if we can push this through, and you can invite those people to city council to say or to a council meeting and say, hey, can you delegate, uh, present your idea? That you know, because I think it's everything just comes down to this combative combativeness of. Oh, my little fiefdom is being threatened, and you know I don't have to reach out and build a coalition. And the idea is kind of that that old classical idea of democracy of just the free exchange of idea, the you know, the free marketplace of ideas of just hey, I I never I never thought of that before. Let's try that. What I found remarkable when we were talking to the high school kids all those years ago, and when I talk around our table to my kids' friends and everything, is when they're presenting their ideas and talking about what they would see as a good city for them and the things they would like to have, they're not weighted down by what's already happening. There's no politics in it. There's no, it's just wide open, pure ideas. And they put in things and you go, wow, that's a great idea. We dismiss a large chunk of this population because they don't know all the rules, because they don't know how to be combative and make their voice the loudest so they, they don't bother. But sometimes this new perspective can come from a place where they don't have a hidden agenda. They don't have anything except it's, you think this would be cool. It's a functionality, right? They're, they're looking for the functionalism of a thing. They're looking at, Bur at Burlington Transit. I needed to get me from point A to point B in the least amount of time possible. How do we do that? And that's something like, I don't, I don't think that that's uh, limited to just teenagers i think that everybody would love to get on public yeah. transit and say hey i can get from my home to burlington mall or maple mall or wherever it is and i know it's going to get me there in record time flat but i mean i know counselor i know a specific counselor and for years um this counselor's idea has been well no one takes it therefore we don't need it so he's playing chicken and an egg right. with the whole thing which is wrong because there's a lot of this population that would depend on transit if they could, but they can't. Yeah. And so we've got a subset of people who can't earn what they maybe could. They can't reliably be at a job. They can't do things. And that's a huge disservice to your entire tax base if you want to look at it that way. And that makes me crazy, except the one interest of this one person, he looks up, decides, that's what I see, therefore, that's what it must be. And that... I, I'm always talking about... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a classic with, with transit... I'm sure this came up in the whole LRT thing in Hamilton. Uh, certainly has come up in Burlington. It's come up in right across every city in the 905 has had this. Transit and cycling. Well, there are no cyclists, so we don't need cycle lanes. Uh, there's Nobody's taking the bus, so we don't need buses. Right. Well, if you provide a crappy service, no one will use it. Um, you know, you, you, that's what you've done. You've provided absolutely the worst possible level of service and then you say, hey, look, self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, Fewer kids uh, are getting their licenses now. Car sales are not going to the younger generation. They're opting out. This is going to change. We might as well set up our cities to be adaptive to this because this is these well, are the numbers. I think, not I think it's, it's, it's kind of been the, the theme that we've been focusing on the last couple episodes because um, we had Audra Williams and her partner, Haritha, on about why people in Toronto are moving out here um, and in a lot of their cases, they're looking at, you know, 
public transit, how they, as you said, Roland, a lot of them don't necessarily have cars, and that is limiting in, in some cases. Where you go from like a Toronto center where everything is very tightly packed to you know Burlington, Hamilton, where everything is assumed no, you just got every you know, you have to you're expected to get in your car and drive halfway across the city to go grocery shopping. And Audra, I think we've said this offline, I don't think she was actually in the recording, but we said something about driving. She said, oh, yeah, we're weird. We've actually got a car. Uh, <laughs> anybody under 40 in, in, in Toronto doesn't drive. I mean, a lot of people over 40 don't drive because it's actually a hell of a lot quicker to, to, to use transit. Uh, we saw in Kingston and actually Brampton is another example of this, of, of, of cities that actually really set out to invest in transit to make sure the routes were going in the right places, to make sure it was going at the right time. And also, particularly in Kingston, had this fantastic project where they basically let kids ride free on any bus in the city. Uh, and they did that in concert with the school boards. Like, so they would actually have training day where they would train children how to ride the bus. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely Kingston used to have uh, as little ridership as Burlington um, as a city approximately the same kind of size it's a different place it's got a university but basically their system was not used in Burlington our system is not used and within a matter of a couple of years it doubled quadrupled you know uh, and they were going up by like hundreds of thousands of rides uh, um, in, in no time just because they got smart about how to do things. You build it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But see, like, that's where, like, you could bring that idea to an advisory committee and it would get shot shot down. Like, there'd be, some, there'd be somebody else on the committee, oh, we can't do that. We can't trust kids. And, you know, that we're, we're primarily a senior population. We can't do that here. And, like, that's just the attitude that you're just like, why the, why do I bother? Like, I got, I got, I have so much better things to do with my time. They sit there and say, okay, now I got to fight with Roland again over why I think, you know, kids under the age of 15 should ride transit for free. And it gets, the advisory committees get discredited by their own enthusiasm for things. So a long time ago now, um, uh, I think this was back in the Cam Jackson days, or immediately after the Cam Jackson days in Burlington, uh, the Heritage Committee either was kind of fired or resigned en masse uh, because uh, there was a feeling out in the world that the Heritage Committee was a bit too pro-heritage. Uh, same has happened with transit committees in Burlington, that they, they've renamed them, they've moved them around, they've called them different things, because the transit committee tended to attract people who were really keen on transit, and the council really, really wasn't keen on transit. Right. So guess what? Right. Well, we'll get rid of those guys. And actually, the members of that committee went and formed an outside pressure group um, called BFAST, which is actually incredibly uh, successful at changing the entire conversation in Burlington about uh, the importance of transit, uh, which illustrates a number of points that activists tend to do a better job when they stay outside of City Hall, uh, but also how your very enthusiasm for a subject uh, discredits your opinion. Because it's like, well, you're just a transit advocate. We don't want to listen to you. You're not representative of anything. It's like, no, you're absolutely, you're damn right, I'm not. Um, you should be listening to people from across the city uh, or a representative sample of people who, who haven't just come forward because they've already made their mind up, um, but actually have open minds and are willing to listen to all parties. Um, yeah, it, it's a frustrating thing. It, it, it so it's, how do we achieve that when we've got politicians in various places who use words like there's a war on cars and the entire right. piece of this is so division, like it's so divisive and I don't know how do we change the thing so I can understand your side and you can understand why I, it's such a basic idea. I, 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 think, I think a big part of it is coming from last week's conversation with Dave Meslin is I think it's electoral reform. I think a, a big part of that is how do we elect our councillors and our mayors and i think rank ballots uh i know that uh that passed or that's going to the next stage of of development here in burlington uh but i hope it it goes all the way because i think that i think we need to elect just have councillors that have a a broader mandate who are able to go and say i've i've talked to a large section of my constituency and i can say confidently i have their support 
and that have to go back to them constantly and say, listen, am I doing a good job? Do I still have your support? Um, and, and, and sorry, and, and as Dave said, to allow those outsiders who have good ideas and who are moderate uh, to come forward and not and not have to, how extreme do I have to be to get to steal away thirty percent from people? So you know, how combative do I have to be? How how do I have to say I'm you know I'm sticking it up to you? Um, you just people to say, listen, let's have a conversation. I think you have I think you have some good ideas, Lorraine. Roland, I think you have some good ideas. Let's find where the two meet, and I'll run on that platform. It's a, I certainly think it's, it's a huge step in the right direction to to, to address the electoral things. I don't think it will fix everything. I think, but I think it's a big step in the right direction because right now your best chance of success as a politician is to be Terry Whitehead. Because everybody could name a Hamilton uh, councillor, Terry Whitehead. He's the one that springs to the front of my mind <laughs> before even the mayor. Um, uh, so he's getting the publicity by being kind of a jackass, well, not even kind of a jackass, by being a colossal jackass. Um, that's all wrong, you know. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's that could be a foundation stone, hopefully, if you, if you change um, that way of, of, of deciding actually who actually sits in the room and try and attract better bloody candidates. Uh, you know, After if, that sewage spill, they should all be whooshed out. Oh, yeah. They all knew. Ford and, knew as well. They all knew. And the Red Hill Parkway. Oh, uh, oh yeah. I've got a quote, because I wrote about that when there was crashes, and I've got a quote from their head engineer. No, this is the top quality asphalt, blah, 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 goes on. And then I looked uh -huh. at my notes. Yeah. I published it a year later. Nope. I'm thinking you. Yeah. yeah. It, it, They've been let down. That city has been let down so hard, but they're the ones who keep electing the name they recognize on a ballot. We're not paying attention to what they're electing. And this is at several levels. They've got some MPPs who I'm like, are you kidding me? This person's never done a damn thing for you. So I don't understand. Yeah, we, we yeah. I mean, again, it comes back to that whole media thing that we're trying in a, our little way to kind of counter <laughs> um, that, that no one knows what's going on, so no one cares. And yeah, the name recognition problem, the, well, well yeah, well, I've heard of him. I guess he's okay. That's such a massive issue, um, and, and yeah, I have to break that down because it, it, it's. I really think we have our view of politics upside down. We all, we all watch the CBC and power of politics or whatever, uh, or depending on your perspective, um, rebel media or whatever. Um, yeah. That stuff doesn't affect you most most of the time. Uh, this stuff is day in day out, um, yeah. right on your doorstep, and yet we ignore it. Anyway, we have gone on over our uh, time allocation already, uh, um, so we should probably call it a day. Um, thanks so much, Lorraine, for, for being willing to come in and, and, and share the ranting session. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Uh, uh. Well, thanks so much, Lorraine, for uh, coming on and taking part in the conversation this week. Now, at this point, I have to admit that uh, our sound problems really came to a head and uh, my part of the conversation in the final part of the podcast this week isn't actually usable. So we've got uh, Joel's conversation and a whole lot of crackle from me. But never mind, I'll see if I can salvage anything from the wreckage and uh, I'll promise that next week we have some better sound for you. In the meantime, over to Joel. Uh, the CBC was reporting that uh, there was two Donald Trump supporters who got who were able to break quarantine in Milton, Ontario. Uh, the Uline CEO and uh, corporate team visited the their site in Milton, and where the Halton PD apparently was called to investigate a violation of quarantining. Um, the question of how they got into the country. And how they managed to sneak out of quarantine are questions still up for debate and I think are under investigation. Uh, but it does beg the question of what's, you know, what, what kind of people are, are coming into the country to say, oh, I don't need to obey quarantine rules. Mostly, I mean, these were Donald Trump supporters and big time Donald Trump supporters. We're talking billionaires uh, who are doing this. So I'm kind of not surprised, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, why did they even get into the country? 
I'm looking at the story right here, and it was Liz Uline, who's the 75-year-old president and CEO of Uline, which is a, a Wisconsin-based retailer of shipping, packing, and janitorial supplies. They're a pretty big. Uh, uh, they have a pretty big operation up in Milton and in Mississauga, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but it, from the story, it appears that they just flew into Toronto, uh, in, on their private jet into their private, uh, the private airport uh, that's part of Pearson up there, and then just kind of walked into the country. Uh, apparently under uh, and the federal order and council, only four cabinet members, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, the Minister of Public Safety, the Minister of Health, and the Minister of Immigration, as well as uh, our Chief Public Health Officer, can uh, give exemptions for the travel ban and the, uh, the closed border ban. Uh, to come in and out of the country. All four cabinet members and the chief public health officer have denied granting these people uh, exemptions. So the question is, how do they just walk in? They say that they got exemptions, but who knows? Now, these are people are also known to be um, anti-maskers and very much uh, anti-COVID uh, restrictions uh, in the United States, and they're very much vocal and supportive of the Donald Trump administration's uh activities there so that i'll leave that to for uh, our listeners to conclude what what kind of people they are at that point uh but that i mean the question does arise like how do these people get in how do they get in and how do they manage to go to go about their business as if nothing was wrong here in canada that's all i have for this week uh i'm going to leave it there for this week's episode i'm going to say Thank you for listening. Uh, feel free to like, share. Please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening. That helps us with our ratings and our approval uh, on those uh, on those apps. As well, you can find us on social media. We are 905er on Facebook, Instagram, as well as Twitter, and as well as LinkedIn now. Uh, and if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or just want to talk with us, please give us an email. We're at info at 905er.ca. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next week. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.